future is now. And welcome to the SVK Crypto Podcast. 15 minutes of crypto value. My name's Charles Story. I'll be your host the next 15 minutes. We're coming live from the city of London, Shoreditch. So let's get down to business. Today's show is going to be solely focused on the universal resource inheritance. And I think it's really important because people have many misconceptions regarding this. So what I've done is spent a bit of time reading different um, different blog posts from Dan Larimer to many other influencers in the EOS community to really pick everything together and bring everyone up to speed on, on what the situation is. So the question behind universal resource inheritance is very simple. It's how do we allocate the natural resources of the universe fairly across all generations? And we, as in we, the EOS community, so this question is a challenge, even for libertarians, because it gets to the very heart of property rights. How do we determine what is yours and what is mine? Where do these rights come from? So libertarians hold that taking property without permission is an act of aggression. And from this conclude that the taxation is an act of aggression. However, for it to be an act of aggression, the libertarian must first establish the basis of their claim to the property. So who owns the moon? the ocean, the land, and the air. Do Adam and Eve have eternal property rights to 50% of the world each? What I mean by this is that they get to choose which of the children get the property when they die. Their children get to decide how to divide it amongst their children and so on until present day. Does proving clean title property requiring documents all transfer back to Genesis? This, after all, is the basis of cryptocurrency property. All transfers are logged in a publicly verifiable ledger, and the coins are only yours by virtue of the ability to track ownership back to the Genesis block. It should be obvious that providing clear title to anything is impossible. Furthermore, one must ask the question, why do Adam and Eve have the right to control the definition of legitimate ownership of property for all eternity? Is each new generation bound to recognize the property rights allocated by the prior generation? Is first come, first serve a proper basis for assigning initial ownership to unowned property? Does this generation have the right to consume all the oil and rainforest? Does this generation have the right to allocate all the mineral rights for all of eternity? So these are the questions that led Dan and some of the other guys at Block One, to really consider an alternative definition of property rights. Most people have an innate sense of justice that starts as a child. We have an idea of what we consider ours. This generally includes things we touched first, things we created, or things we just saw. From this, it flows to things we bought from others. While this approach to property rights is natural, it doesn't scale very well. In order to scale, we introduce contracts which represent mutual agreements between people. While some people naturally respect others' property rights and contracts, other people choose to follow the might-makes-right approach to property. This is the law of the jungle and is what is largely governed by how property is allocated via wars and taxation. In practice, most property rights are driven by respecting the status quo. What was yours yesterday is yours today if you can maintain control of property for long enough. And then people forget how you obtained it and it becomes yours. 
I find all the above systems to be logically inconsistent. Before you can contract for property, you must own it. Force, fraud, theft and extortion are not valid means to acquire property systems. Have been set up by one generation, should not be binding on subsequent generations. Contracts are only valid if the parties have the ability to consent and are negotiating as equals. It is clear that in practice property is allocated by the law of the jungle. The strongest parties conquer the weaker. The victors write the history books and redefine property rights. Property rights are enforced by violence or the threat thereof. Any new system of property rights must account for this natural tendency of mankind and should gradually correct for misconduct rather than compound it. So what do you do when you have two kids fighting over a single biscuit? Assuming you actually want to teach your kids how to resolve disputes without violence, you cannot take the easy way out and make a parental decree. There's a really great um, example Dan Laramie used this regarding a, a cookie, which we would obviously call a biscuit here, here in uh, London. But um, he says that in his house, if one of his kids um, would, would, there's one cookie, one of his kids, both his kids want the cookie, what he would decide to do is to, one kid to split the cookie and the other kid to pick which one they want. Um, if they cannot decide which role, divider or chooser they want, I suggest a coin flip. With this simple process, it is amazing to what extent the divider will go to fair and how much scrutiny the chooser places to determine which piece is better. So now imagine that mankind had to come up with a system for allocating property rights that fully accounts for all generations. Imagine you were tasked with the job of dividing the pie between individuals and all generations, but that someone else got to decide which slice you get and which generation you were born into. Would you give the first generation the right to allocate the future generations? Would you give the vector the spoils of war? It is through pondering this question, says Dan, that he actually came up with the process of universal inheritance. And he goes on to say, I assume that each day is a new day and each generation deserves an equal division of the unearned natural resources of the universe. A billionaire who acquired his riches extracting oil from the ground denies future generations those resources and the wealth earned is passed on to his kids. All wealth is derived from the natural, unearned resources, extracts in the past and traded amongst prior generations. From this perspective, Dan proposes that each person should be lent a share of the Earth's resources for the duration of a long human life. This is based upon the premises that members in one generation would never agree to give the previous generation more favorable terms, assuming all generations were represented by competent and unbiased lawyers. From this perspective, each year, some percentage of the Earth's resources should be redistributed to the current generation, such that over one lifetime, the resources wealth is passed fairly from one generation to the next. If we assume most people live less than 100 years and the resulting rate of inheritance should be around 5% per year, this would redistribute 99.5% of initial wealth over 100 years. Total global real estate is worth about 217 trillion distributed amongst 7 billion people, about $1,500 per person. Total global stocks are about 100 trillion or $1,200 per person per year. 
Total worldwide money supply is about 100 trillion. All of this would give everyone, including the billions of poor and starving individuals in Africa, India, China, a total income of about $4,000 per year or $333 per month. This is greater than the global median per capita household income. This is over 4x the median income in Africa. Talk about impacting worldwide poverty. Obviously, implementing such a distribution process globally is difficult and not very interesting to citizens of wealthier, industrialized countries. That said, if we apply the same process to only the assets and citizens of the states or the USA, we would arrive at a number of $15,000 per year, which would instantly place everyone above the poverty line until a new price equilibrium is reached. The point of the process itself is derived from first principles, we can derive a basic income that is in the same ballpark as what is proposed. Furthermore, we can do so by not asking how much money is needed, but asking how much wealth is available to pass on to the next generation of 5% per year. To summarize this, wealth tax of 5% per year would give everyone an income above the poverty line without violating fairly negotiated property rights of any generation. This wealth tax in the USA means anyone with less than $300,000 of value would in effect pay no tax as the tax is equal to their income. This means almost 75% of Americans would effectively pay no tax or wealth tax because their inheritance is greater than their tax liability. Furthermore, those with assets above $300,000 in value are likely earning more than 5% of passive income from those assets. So those who do not use their assets productively by earning more than 5% will slowly lose them to the next generation over the course of their life. Given that everyone would be above the poverty line, there would be no longer any need for other welfare services. Means testing, um, school tuition could easily be paid for from the basic income of children. Child support orders could be eliminated. Um, one of the most common arguments about or against the 5% wealth tax is the results in squandered resources that people would spend it on drugs or otherwise waste it. They would argue that a wealth tax would disincentivize savings and encourage consumption. While it is true that a certain percentage of the population would squander their resources, it is equally true that the wealth also squander resources. But arguments based on the efficiency are biased towards some of the property rights system. The presumption is that somebody, by virtue of their own biased values, knows how to allocate resources better than everyone else. The presumption is that certain economic goods and experiences are better than others. So in conclusion, Dan goes on to say, it is possible to support a universal inheritance supported by a modest wealth tax while being logically consistent economically sound libertarian in fact it may be the only logical consent theory or property rights that could be broadly accepted by the masses or automatically correcting for past and injustice on the other hand this nuanced position would be lost on the masses who would not understand the reason behind their inheritance without properly understanding the masses may simply call for more whenever their inheritance doesn't support the standards and that would then lead into selfish desires the masses can quickly turn a stable 
economic system, 5% per year, into an unstable communist system that forces everyone to the lowest common denominator. So it's interesting what he goes on to say here. And it's an interesting article in itself because it really brings up some broader facts about the, the world and the way we live and our, and, our, and our lives as we know it. I mean, Dan's really... It's interesting. It's like I read a lot of places, and I, I met I met Dan recently. But um, he really describes himself as an Austrian economist, as well as a blockchain um, innovator. But it's it's funny because a lot of different people out there, Roger Ver, Jimmy Song, a lot of the a lot of the big people out there, they all really believe in the Austrian economist views, so to speak. But listen, um, that's a wrap. There's a lot to think about here. Let me know your thoughts. And remember, as always, to join us on our social channels, add your comment in. Telegram is SVK Crowd, Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. And um, if you're really on your game, feel free to email myself, cstory, C-S-T-O-R-R-Y at svkcrypto.com. We have a project or anything of that nature building out in the EOSIO protocol. Feel free to reach out. I look forward to hearing from all of you. That's a wrap. I got a balance of a phenomenal day wherever you are in the world. Thank you. Listening to an SVK Crypto Podcast Original. Follow us on Twitter at SVK underscore crypto. Email us on cstory at svkcrypto.com. Leave us a message on our website, www.svkcrypto.com.